You're listening to SequelCast 2 and Friends, a proud part of the Greenlit Podcast Network. Hello and welcome to Sierra Quest 2 Adventure Games Human. With us, we have a, a very special guest, Sean Mills. He's an author of a new book, The Sierra Adventure, The Story of Sierra Online. And we're going to talk to him about his book, about the history of Sierra Adventure Games, uh, kind of like uh, Thrasher and I have been covering on the podcast. Uh, Sean, welcome to the show. Hey, thanks for having me. Great to be here. Fantastic. Uh, Thrasher, you said we were just talking before we started recording about um, you just had a lot of memories come back reading the book of growing up with these games. Is that right? Yeah, especially like uh, right at, right at the beginning, because I, I think we mentioned this on uh, Sierra Quest to Adventure Game is Human. That looking back on it, like the I think the first Sierra game I ever played was the Black Cauldron game, and then here I am reading in the very beginning of the game the history of how Al Lowe made that game, and uh, a lot of stuff started coming back to me. Sure, I mean these they've done so many games over the years, and it just a. Uh... The detail you go in the book is in, incredible. I'm wondering, Sean, when you wrote the book, did you ever feel kind of overwhelmed with Sierra's catalog and deciding where to focus? Oh, heck yeah. Uh, look, there's so much. Um, I had to make a decision really early on to just cover Sierra and not worry about like dynamics and mm. uh, all the other you know, subsidiaries, I suppose you call them, even though you know they're fascinating in their own right. But you, I really had to narrow the focus as much as possible. I tried to stick to the six major series, you know, the six major quest lines, King's Quest, Space Quest, Gabriel Knight, etc. Um, but, um, yeah, it, it ended up a little bit, sometimes I'd get a person who knew a bit more about a particular game that might not have been in that area. So, you know, it sort of expanded around. One of my, probably a good example of that is when I talk about uh, Gold Rush, and because um, when I spoke to Doug McNeil about Gold Rush, he was telling me about this, you know, fascinating story about how they're under all this pressure to get the game done and, you know, to the point where they boxed themselves into their office so people couldn't come and disturb them. And I'm like, this is just fascinating. And then it gives an insight to sort of Ken Williams as a person as well that a few years later when it's no longer selling, he's just like, yeah, here you go, you can have it. If you guys can make some money out of it. So, yeah, but it was very hard to narrow the focus and decide what to do and what didn't. Uh, that's why in the intro I say I probably missed your favorite game and this is the apology for it. That's <laughs> particularly why I wrote that. So, yeah. So uh, your book, it's got a, it's got a mix of, of your own independent research and a lot of stuff gleaned from interviews with a lot of Sierra's designers. Uh, and one thing I, I've picked up from speaking to to veterans from like the tabletop gaming industry whenever you get people who have been in an industry for a long time talking they tend to sort themselves into two categories either the people who once they get going they get a big smile on their face and it's just constant reminiscences about the good old days and then there were the people who shudder and start talking like a survivor of gallipoli <laughs> like we, when you were like, what was the general sense that you got from interviewing various people, like from Sierra? Where where did they fall? What was that like? The majority of the people sort of quoted in the book would fall into the first category. You know, really excited, loved their time there, 
not to say that some of them didn't have horror stories because there were some, but I think the people that didn't want to talk about it were the ones who wouldn't talk to me. <laughs> so um, I think that's sort of the way that panned out, really. Um, the, you know, I, I there were a couple of people that spoke to me that were very, um, I suppose, over time have thought about their time there and are able to go, well, this was good and this was bad. So I tried to be balanced in that regard. But I think, to be honest, the people who spoke to me are the ones who really loved it and, you know, still love what they did. So, yeah. I, I do love how Sierra pretty early on had a news later that later became their uh, interaction magazine mm. where Ken Williams had an intro in, in just about every issue. And, I mean, other video game companies weren't really doing that. LucasArts did, like, a newspaper every so often, but you didn't hear from, I don't know, George Lucas or whoever, that you know, Ron Gilbert, all those people. Mm. But the Sierra... Um, Ken Williams made sure, and, and the, the Williamses and everything on the boxes, they always made sure to credit who the designer was and almost make it like a movie with the pictures of the people on the back of who yep. was in charge of making the games. Yeah, look, um, that's not entirely accurate, to be perfectly honest. There was, mm -hmm. a, there was a two tier system there for a long time where a junior developer, junior designer would do a lot of the work, but sure. the big name would get the. Um, we get the credit for it. Um, you know, look at, I guess, Freddie Farkas as an example of that. Um, Josh did a lot of the grunt work on that. Al was very involved in it, of course, came up with the, um, Al Lowe, that is, <laughs> came up with the whole, uh, you know, the plot and the, the gameplay and the mechanics of it. But Josh was very involved in that. But reading the box, it's really credited as an Al Lowe game. It's only subsequently that we realised how much of it was a collaboration. Or, you know, King's Quest VI maybe is another example. Um, you know, Roberta designed the game and she's the name on the box. And rightly too, I think, in some respects, because she's so... Her name sold games. That's something that was very made very clear to me that I always thought was maybe a bit of a myth that you hear about, you know, Roberta's the queen of Sierra and that sort of... I, I always thought in my head that's made a bit by the interaction magazine and the way, you know, the mum and dad type feel that they tried to portray in that and you know her face in the games sometimes and all that but uh, it really was true a lot of people would tell me uh, just the amount of fan mail that she would get from people just literally sacks and sacks of it so they they know it and it's categorically true that her name on the game sold more games whereas jane jensen in that particular in you know king's quest 6 did a lot of the work and um, Lorelai Shannon did a lot of the work for King's Quest Seven, but it's Roberta's name on the box. Um, but that that being said, uh, something that um, something that uh, Robert Holmes told me is that they were very good. Sierra as a company and Ken and Roberta particularly were very good at developing and giving opportunities to other designers and giving them their own games. So. If you think of King's Quest VI and you think, oh, well, maybe, you know, Jane probably should have got some more credit for that. But the credit, I guess, in reality is the fact that she proved herself and they gave her Gabriel Knight, you know, go ahead and design your own games, which was, you know, her game completely, her passion, all that. So I think, you know, 
swings and roundabouts. <laughs> so, but, yeah. so speaking of the games, I'm I'm a huge fan of, of lost media. In the course of conducting interviews and doing doing research, yep. did you come across any interesting ideas that weren't used, series that people wanted to launch but couldn't launch, or like just any interesting games that that could have or should have been made but weren't? Oh, there's actually a, there's a fair bit about it towards the end of the book where I mentioned three or four that were Ooh. probably towards the end of Sierra. There was a lot of ideas getting thrown at the wall and people going off and doing their own things. Uh, probably the one that appeals in my mind the most is a game called Echoes, which was going to be an adventure game, sort of mist first-person style uh, alien invasion. They uncover some alien technology or something on, on the moon and uh, the aliens come back and it's an alien invasion type game. And that sort of went through development process and then eventually the general ideas of that morphed into the Babylon 5 game, which is very famous as one that was nearly finished and then cancelled. Um, yeah, so, yeah, the Babylon 5 game itself, that's another one that's just... I got to see some of the... Uh, behind-the-scenes footage that was recorded that some of the people involved still have copies of because they recorded with the entire cast of the show. They recorded all the cutscenes and everything, so that's all. Oh, wow. Uh, yeah, yeah. So, that I mean, it was right at the end of the time, that, you know, the, the production uh, of the game before they canned it, and was, I, I don't really, uh, truthfully, I don't really know why they canned it. I, I would suspect that, uh, the show had finished on TV and renewing the rights was probably too much money or something. I'm not sure. Um, probably the other ones very late in the process was Lord, what became Lord of the Rings Online. Uh, Craig Alexander was the um, studio head after Ken left in well, a few people, but after Ken left in Oakhurst and uh, Craig got the rights to Lord of the Rings before the movies. He was out in front of all that and um, started developing Lord of the Rings online at Sierra, but that then fell apart and Sierra fell apart and ended up, you know, down the track, ends up going to, I think, what, Warner Brothers released it eventually. So that's another one. Um, probably the funniest one and the, the most obscure one is uh, a Leisure Suit Larry platform game where it was really... I, I can't even wrap my head around how Leisure Suit Larry becomes a platform game, but... It's a it's something they worked on for a while and had like demo levels of it, but it ended up getting axed and then they were going to do a sort of a... They took Larry out of it and made it a... Um, if we remember back to the 90s, the Whitewater scandal and Bill, Bill and Hillary Clinton and all of that sort of political stuff, it was going to be a political satire around that where, you know, they're raft, Bill and Hillary are rafting down... Uh, you know, white water, you know, <laughs> along the road and stuff. So there's, oh, there's a lot of, lot of interesting, um, interesting games, interesting ideas, particularly at the end. Probably another one, Bloodcraft. They tried to do a vampire um, real-time strategy oh, and wow. sort of play on the, play on the, play on the craft thing that um, uh, uh, Blizzard were doing, which was part of the company by then, part of the mega group. <laughs> so, um, but that. Yeah, again, that was axed. So, yeah, oh, I was a lot. There was a lot of really interesting games. That's that's really just the end of the company, you know. Back at the beginning, there was there was a lot of options, you know, a lot of ideas thrown around as well. 
But then some of those ideas, I mean, you look at the history of Space Quest and, you know, you get Mark and Scott sitting in a room together working on the Black Cauldron and just talking about, you know, stuff they like. And they both like sci-fi. They both like adventure games, obviously. And they wanted to make their own game. So they designed what became, you know, the first few screens of Space Quest 1 inside the arcade. Um, and that and took it to Ken. And Ken's like, well, you know what you're doing. Go and make it. So, <laughs> um, yeah. So there's a lot of, oh, a lot of, lot of games that um, probably would have liked to see the light of day. Or, or, probably maybe good that we didn't see so <laughs> might not have been all that great so. it's definitely interesting reading about how they there were plans to do cd-rom versions of games that mm. uh, of the diskette games that just didn't come to, to be for budgetary reasons yeah. or whatever mm-hmm. um like police quest 3 at one point was going to have a cd version and uh, yeah. and, and some of these other ones and yet you 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 talked about james jensen earlier and that, and that first gabriel knight game was really Night and day, you compare the voice acting of King's Quest V, that was mainly people in the office doing it, more or less, mm. uh, to, to Gabriel Knight one, which had uh, Tim Curry and Mark Hamill. And, uh, what a well, cast. Oh, wasn't it? Yeah, still. I mean, you couldn't and, put that together nowadays, could you? No, it no. I, I had the pleasure of interviewing Jane Jensen a few years ago in the remake of uh, Gabriel Knight, since oh, yeah. the Fathers came out. And, uh, you know, I asked, did you ever consider putting those old voices in the new game? And she's like, well, we'd have to pay so much more for the rights now. We get, They got a real steal on that top A Hollywood voiceover talent. Yeah. Um, and then they had to re-record with uh, sound alikes or different actors and, and mm. so forth. And I, I like, you know, the new version has good uh, lighting, I think, in the scenes and makes some interesting changes. But yeah. it's to try and, when you have that original with that, that heck of a cast mm. and... It's tonally so different from a lot of the Sierra games. I mean, yes, Le- Leisure Suit Larry was adult, but in a different way than Gabriel Knight. Uh, and uh, looking at the cover to the book here, I love you show the different kind of icons, one of which is a condom. Uh, yep. I'm also thinking <laughs> Space Quest Four had the nose and uh, as an icon. And, uh, of course, the Gary Owens is the narrator in, in the Space Quest games. Oh, uh, yeah. it, it'll be really exciting to see space venture when that comes out. I think that's actually coming along pretty well. I've yeah. It's in beta testing. Beta testing. Excellent. Yeah. Nice. Brilliant. Can't wait. <laughs> so, yeah. Um, yeah. I so, love the, um, I love those icons. That was, um, I had this vague idea when I commissioned the artist, Bruce, um, Brene's, I think is how you pronounce it. But anyway, when Bruce drew this cover for me, I said, mate, I just want the half dome. Cause that's iconic Sierra. I don't know, maybe put some icons in there or something to make it look a bit Sierra-ish. And he came back with that. That was literally <laughs> his first draft was very similar to that. So, and I'm just like, dude, that's amazing. <laughs> I just, yeah. So we know, uh, you know, Ken Williams, Ken Roberta Williams would sometimes make, uh, intentionally or not, cameos uh, in some Sierra games. Most infamously, uh, a caricature of Ken Williams would be featured in every Leisure Suit Larry game. So did did Ken like that? Did he feel like in on the joke or did that like rub him the wrong way at some point? I always wondered what he thought about those cameos. Presumably, I mean, he allowed them. Presumably he did approve. (laughs) Look, um, the first thing to remember is they were give, the, the designer was given pretty much carte blanche to do whatever they liked. Ken would say at the end of the day, yes or no. But once he said yes, they pretty much were let 
let fly to do what they want. I actually did ask Ken that question, and I and he said, look, he appreciates it on a on a humorous level. They're funny, generally, um, you know, the Larry ones particularly, because him and Al were actually had a sort of a friendship level above the company. Because you got to keep in mind, Al Lowe's a bit older than the rest of the designers at the time as well, so it's a different sort of relationship between him and Ken. I think. Um, that's just my own opinion, but I think there's a bit of a different relationship there than the rest of them. But, um, yeah, I, I think Ken liked them, but he did say to me, uh, you've got to be really careful with inside jokes because they were funny to the designers, but would they be funny to just a punter on the street who's playing the game? And that was always his objection. If he objected to them, that was usually the reason. It was like, well, people aren't going to get the joke and it's just going to look, you know, um, navel gazing on our own. So I think it would be fair to say he liked the jokes a lot of the time and liked the cameos. Um, but yeah, just tried to be a bit careful about it so it didn't, you know, wasn't too much overkill. Running diagnostics in three, two. Men like that is a podcast. Good so far. That really sucks. Oh no! Shut her down! No, shut her down! They thought they could make something funny. They can't do anything. They can't. Abort mission! Listen to men like that. Matt, I've got a great idea for a podcast. You and me, we watch movies, right? And some of them are kind of bad, and so we make fun of them. But maybe some of them are good. Chris, that's a great idea. Let's do it. And eat snacks. Movie Fighters, an original idea on the Greenlit Podcast Network. So thinking about when you're when you're writing the book, when you're doing all the research and going back to play uh, the old games to, to remember what they were like, was there one game you played that maybe you, you hadn't played before that kind of surprised you and like, oh, this is kind of a, an undiscovered gem that people should pay more attention to and as part of their adventure game catalog? Um... Yeah, I think I played all the major series, you know, quite a lot growing up, Yeah, particularly Quest for Glory. I've played those Inside Out and Space Quest. Um, you know, while I like the Gabriel Knight games, they're probably not my favourite series. It's just, I don't really go into that sort of supernatural type stuff too much. Um, although I think King, King's Quest Six, on the other hand, is one of the best games in that series. So... Um, Probably undis unknown gems. I think the Shivers games. I think they're excellent. Mm. Uh, they're really. I know there was two of them, so the first one had to be successful enough to commission a sequel. But I do feel they were a bit, you know, pushed aside in the catalogue. You know, when when the big names came out, when when the new Space Quest came out, that was where the promotion went. Um, or the, or the King's Quest particularly, that's the golden golden haired child, isn't it? And, yeah, but the Shivers games, I think, are really unique and really different. They did a lot of um, did a lot of cool little things with that game. You know, the first-person perspective is a bit different for Sierra, though they did a few. Um, but, yeah, I just... Something, I don't know, something about it, it just all, it all hang, hung together really well. And the first one is so damn hard. That is a really difficult game. <laughs> um when I spoke to Marsha Bale about it, uh, who's the designer on those games, she actually said, in retrospect, that game was way too hard. But, um, yeah, so probably the Shivers games. 
I actually have a bit of a soft spot for some of the early high-res adventures as well, which I'd never really played before sort of going into them. And I'll be honest, I haven't finished all of them. I never finished Time Zone. That's the biggest game ever made, I think. A uh, lot of empty screens. But um, I, I, I do love looking at... What fascinates me about Sierra, and I think I do get this across in the book a bit, is not the game itself so much, but I love the innovation to to hit that next idea it's you know I, i'm really fascinated by the thought of roberta going to ken hey look i want to make a game like colossal cave but you know we need we need pictures in it because people need pictures and ken's like well that's never been done what can we do how do we do that and you know basically invents the technology and oh well you know black and white's a bit rubbish how about we get some color in it ken and he works out how to do you know, all these fascinating dithering patterns to get multiple colours on a four-colour system. So that's the really fascinating thing to me. So when I play those really early games and I see... Um, and you can watch them and, and they almost paint as they're... You know, as the screen's loading, they're painting as sort of they're drawn. And you, you see the fill pattern and I'm like, that is just a brilliant thing i mean it looks like absolutely atrocious rubbish now that you know you could do better with you know paint on on windows but it, it's amazing step forward for the time and i think that's the what, thing that i really look at when i when i look at those early games so one of my holy grails as far as like sierra collector's items is the really hard to find limited run roger wilco comic book that came out in mm. the late 80s yeah. and i'm i'm just curious in in either your own fandom or doing research for this book is there like any particular piece of memorabilia or, or anything like from sierra that would be that would be your holy grail um uh, the one that I, there's probably two, the one that I own and the one that I don't. Um, the one that I own is Quest for Glory 2. I know it's probably not a huge deal, but I just, I I love the map that comes in the box. I just think it's amazing. It's just, I, I think it's the epitome of that era when you got stuff in the box. And Quest for Glory 2 has so much in it. And I, I love that map of shape era. I just, I don't know who drew it, but it's just, it's amazing. I absolutely love that. So um, that's probably the one I own. The one I don't own, um, I'm really fascinated to see like Mystery House or something, the, the original packaging for Mystery House, you know, the, the ones that, you know, Johnny Williams drove around in the back of his truck and, you know, sold to computer stores that, you know, bought 10 copies here and 10 copies there that, you know, started it all. That'd be, that'd be really cool to own one of those. Um, actually, I've always wanted to get one of their credit cards <laughs> from the ah. late nights. I'd, I'd love to see one of those credit cards, and they they do go around. I've seen them on eBay, the old the old credit cards. But um, yeah, <laughs> I'd, I'd love one of those. Just you know, obviously not to use it as a credit card, but just as something cool to own. I think that'd be that'd be pretty cool. That'd be a unique conversation piece. I think back to some Sierra stuff I used to have that I wish I would have kept. Mm. Uh, I believe it was like Peter Spear and, and maybe his son wrote these big, thick uh, hint guides for like Space Quest 1 through 5 and King's Quest 1 through 5. Yes. But mm. part of them were like a regular walkthrough, but the other part were done like a narrative, almost like a book. 
Um, yeah, and, yeah, the novelization, yeah. yeah uh, awesome. and, and, and those were quite well done. Police Quest had one, I think, by a different author uh, that, that keep doing it. But that's really something that's, that's unique. You don't see uh, too much of that going around. I mean, I don't know if they even make hint books anymore, really. But just to, when a hint book could be like 400 pages is, is just uh, <laughs> really something quite special. Yeah, and when you consider some of the games that are covered in those hint books, like that King's Quest companion you're talking about, yeah. you think about King's Quest one and two, for example. They're really <laughs> short games. You've yes. got to do a lot of work to fill out fifty or sixty pages on that game. So, <laughs> right, and it's not like the narrative is something so literal, where like, uh, you know, Graham moves to the right and and picks up yep. the goat and exactly. moves south, and there's a troll, and he moves north and moves south, and the troll has disappeared. It's yeah, it's, it, yeah, exactly. Yeah, it really yeah, exactly. requires a lot of uh, heavy lifting for the narrative in those hint guides. Uh, it's, I mean, it, and then also you reading through the book, it reminded me Sierra did so many other games than just adventure games. They did they had the uh, the sports series they did of like football and baseball, and they did mm-hmm. uh, the the fishing games, the uh, racing simulations. I mean, all, all kinds of things, uh, and then the, the flight sims with dynamics. Yeah. Oh, they had a massive catalog. I mean, in the early days, their the majority of their catalog were Roberta's high res adventures, and then just bucket loads of arcade, what we would now call arcade games. You know, on various systems, mostly the Apple II, but you know, the Pac Man clones and the, the, basically a clone of everything. The official Frogger port was Sierra. Um, well, you know, that's another. Another memory that came rushing out when I when I was reading this was oh yeah Sierra brought Thexter over from Japan mm. in the eighties and then like relaunched Thexter again in the nineties. Yes, yeah. It sent me down the Thexter rabbit hole uh, for for about the next hour after I read that. Uh, man, I, I I love Thexter. It's one of my favorite games. I, it is so damn hard that first one, and I, I don't think I've ever gotten beyond like level three or four in it. But, oh, that, yeah, that, that's probably, like, the first question you asked me, you know, what, where, do you, where do you draw it down and, you know, what do you cut out and that sort of stuff. The, the Japanese ports that they brought over, I, I covered it in a, what I called an interlude, which was really, I've got this cool little story, but I can't fit it into a chapter. That's what, really what those interludes are. And I, I, I just had to cover them because they're just so awesome. I loved... Um, uh, Silphid, uh, Zelliard, sorry, is the one I really loved. You know, the RPG mm, type yeah. one. I, oh man, I had that growing up, and I put, I put hours into that, hundreds of hours probably. <laughs> it's like the you know the Skyrim of, you know, nineteen eighty seven or something. But yeah, yeah. Man, I, I seem to recall some of those RPGs had it where the game maybe was only on one disc, but to get the description. You had to look in the instruction manual and like look at paragraph three or, or whatever. Yeah. Um, and in fact, I used to. This wasn't Sierra, but I think a Interplay did a tenth anniversary collection that had Bard's Tale and Wasteland and some of those mm-hmm. classics. And and if you try to read the paragraphs by themselves, you'll notice they slipped in fake paragraphs in there. And one of them is like, "Oh, a naked woman comes out at the back and says, you shouldn't be reading these paragraphs out of order.'" <laughs> <laughs> oh, brilliant. Well, the, Sierra's kind of did that in their in their hint books, didn't they? You know, you you're could, right. Uh, yes, <laughs> I think there's one in King's Quest. You know, what it um, 
what do you uh, how do you ride the crocodile or something and it's like what how do you what what you know stop reading these rubbish hints they're they're fake they're really fake they're super fake stop reading it we've told you um you can see well king's quest one's actually quite a great hint book because al Lowe wrote that one and there's a lot of very funny stuff in it so <laughs> the same thing was with the, the hint book for space quest five which they never tell you not anything and it is fake but it describes a completely different game if you just read all the hints in order <laughs> oh okay oh like, wow that's like, early great. on in the game, I think it's like, oh, by the way, steal the odor-eating shoe pad from the one person's locker. And then, like, towards the end, okay, do you have that antifungal foot pad? You'll need it to defeat the fungal monster. Neither thing is in the game, but that would be a brilliant puzzle <laughs> if it was. Yes. <laughs> That's awesome. Almost makes you wonder if it was a puzzle and they cut it out. <laughs> yeah, good point. That's a good point. <laughs> Oh, I don't think I've read the Space Quest 5 hymn books, but, um, yeah. I wanted to, to thank you, Sean, for coming on and talking about your book, The Sierra Adventure, the story of Sierra Online. You can get it at thesierraadventure.com. And um, if people want to uh, check out your social media, where do you recommend they go? Yeah, uh, Sean Mills 77 at Twitter. That's probably the one I keep up to date the most. I'm pretty lazy with social media. It's terrible. Um, or uh, the Sierra Adventure on Facebook. Um, or, again, Sean Mills 77 at, um, on Instagram. But Twitter's the, probably the one I go to the most. I, I tend to look at that quite a lot during the day and have a, have a pretty big following on that. So that's, um, that's probably where I put the most updates. Which, yeah. All right, well, thank you so much for uh, coming on for the interview. It was great fun uh, reading the book and talking some uh, Sierra games with you, and uh, I wish you the best of luck on uh, your future projects, whether they be adventure games or books or, or whatever. Oh, who knows? I've always got an idea floating around. <laughs> um, you know, whether I get there. But, uh, yeah, we were actually talking um, about some uh, about some adventure games that we're making at the moment, so probably probably have a game out in the next... I don't know, a couple of years. <laughs> yeah.